Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Streaming box technology and business rundown. Welcome to the Screaming Box Technology and Business Rundown Podcast. I'm Dave, your host, along with Imin and Botan. And today we are going to be talking to Jen Kramer. For over 20 years, Jen has been teaching and practicing web design and the meaning of quality websites. She's taught web design, educational technology, and storytelling principles to students from Harvard University and other academic institutions, as well as teaching in a workshop in corporate environments. Uh, she recently gave a great talk at the No Code Conference, which I also attended, uh, and she was a published author with her most recent book, Before You Code, Validate Your Idea, Build a Better Product, and Plan Your Way to Success which she co-authored with Heather O'Neill. Her bre previous books include Joomla Start to Finish and Joomla 24-Hour Trainer. Jen earned a bachelor's degree in biology at the University of North Carolina, and she got a master's degree in internet strategy management at the Marlboro College Graduate School, and a graduate certificate in learning design and technology from the Harvard Extension. Wow, that's pretty good background there, Jen. So, <laughs> Is there anything I left out, or maybe you can tell us a little bit uh, about your no-code background? Sure. I've been a no-coder since I got into this industry in 2000. I started with Dreamweaver back in the day when it was Macromedia Dreamweaver and uh, version 3, specifically back before we had CSS, when we were just working pretty much with HTML at that point in time. And then later, the content management system started to rise. Joomla was leading the pack at the point in time that I jumped on board. So I was previously called Mambo before the open source fork happened, and it became Joomla. So I started in the Mambo days, went over to Joomla, stuck around in that world for many years. And then uh, as I transitioned more into teaching, I did much more with HTML and CSS, so I taught a lot of code in that regard for many years, along with user experience, user interface design, and now I'm getting into the third wave of no code for the web, which is all of the fantastic tools that are getting released now, things like Webflow and Bubble and Airtable, Zapier, and there's so many other options that are out there. Um, so I see, Jen, that you have a biology degree, so what made you switch your career? Yeah, so uh, I'm so old that there was no web when I was in college. Uh, it was uh, very much in its infancy, and there was no uh, no real way of creating websites at that point in time, uh, other than a very hacky sort of environment. There was a handful of websites that were out there. People were sort of teaching each other how how it was all done. Uh, so biology was actually a great field to major in because it teaches you the scientific method, thinking about a particular problem, thinking about what, why things are the way they are, developing a hypothesis to test that, uh, designing an experiment around that, changing variables, measuring results. All of these things are things that we do in programming too. So uh, uh, it was a great pre preparation to put me on the path towards web development and web design. Uh, so the, the actual triggering moment for me that made me switch from biology into web design, I was working in science business, and uh, that I realized my happiest days were working on the company website. So uh, it was in early 2000, the stock market was going gangbusters, so I just said, ah, it's gonna be great, quit my job. Six weeks later, the bottom fell out of the stock market, I enrolled in grad school in September of 2000, graduated in August of 2001, and my first client meeting happened on September 10th, 2001. So I started in this field. We've been told that you've written a couple of Joomla books, uh, Jen. And, yeah. you know, I, I do have a tiny bit of experience with Joomla myself. I mean, I did not personally ever use it, but yep. we do have an old uh, company site that still sure. <laughs> that runs on Joomla, like an extremely old version of Joomla. 
So I was wondering if uh, you think that Joomla is still relevant. And uh, as, as a follow-up question, what is happening these yeah. days in the CMS space? So Joomla was very much a leader in the open source content management system space. So it's always, and it's really to this day, it's still Joomla, WordPress, or Drupal if you're talking about those types of systems. And Joomla was a very early leader because in the, in the very early days, WordPress was blogging, strictly blogging. That's all it did. You're like, you couldn't even make pages with it like you can now. Uh, and Drupal has always been a bit more on the complicated side. So as time has gone along, uh, all three of these software packages started off, they were all open source, and they were all pretty even. And then WordPress and Drupal got very smart. And by the way, they all both have single single founders, a limited, very limited number of founders. They decided to go chase some venture capital money. They put in foundations to support the projects. And they got millions and millions of dollars behind them, which allowed them to push WordPress and Drupal as, as uh, solutions, give them more marketing ability and so forth. Joomla was founded by a group of people. It was about uh, like 20 or so founders who were dissatisfied with the way Mamba was doing things, and they broke off and formed the Joomla project. And Joomla has steadfastly decided to follow that community-based model for dealing with their content management system. So they have never chased after venture capital money. Their primary income, like 10 years ago, was Google Ads. Like, they got $400,000 a year in Google Ads, and that was pretty much how they made their money. They never really put That's together... Nice. I know, it's really amazing, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> they never really put together, like, a, a, a foundation or anything to, to float them along or uh, put uh, a lot of money behind them. So what you find is that in the United States, it's really WordPress or Drupal. And if you're building big, complicated systems where you have lots and lots of people, you wind up going with a platform like Drupal. And if you are doing smaller websites, you do something like WordPress, which is powering some ridiculous amount of the web at this point, like 40, 40, 50% of the web is powered by WordPress. Remember that that's a lot of small sites. So Joomla in the United States has been very much squeezed out. It's still, you'll still find it used a lot in Europe because it has very good multi-language support. And it's used a lot in uh, other parts of the world as well. Uh, again, if you have more than one language, Joomla is really a great system to use for that particular type of thing. They just released version four of the software that just came out like this summer, I think, or a little bit like August, I think it was. They finally released version four, but Joomla 3 came out in 2012. So it took nine years for them to come out with the next version of their software. Thus, you know, the community behind these types of, of packages. So the new Joomla has... Bootstrap 5 baked into it. It's got a brand new interface. They've made a lot of strides in, in doing a lot of things. Um, I think there's a lot of arguments that some of the stuff that's in Joomla now should have been there 10 years ago. There's no reason it couldn't have been, except for money. And when you aren't paying your developers and it's all a community-based project, you wind up with, I think, projects that lag behind as opposed to uh, uh, Drupal and WordPress where you do have money behind them and they are able to push along in their developments. So yeah, so I was seeing that no code was very limited to like customization earlier and how it is like working now, like how the developers are like adding customization or anything to the no code these days. And in terms of customizing no code tools and so forth? Yeah, like adding customization because it was very limited, right? It depends on what no code tool you're working with. Uh -huh. Okay, so, so at the low end, if we're talking about customization, let's define it as the design. Right. Okay. We're talking about designing something at the very low end with the least amount of customization. You would look at something like Softer or Pori. Uh, those two packages are literally like, I want a heading, I want a nav bar, I want a, a three boxes where I can put in some pricing. And they have these, just these little uh, interfaces you can just drop in, they chunk together like a, a series of rows on top of each other. And maybe within those rows, you can change a little spacing, you can change a font, you can change a color or two, but fundamentally they are what they are. You're gonna to have to dig into CSS if you wanna customize them. Now, that's perfect for a lot of people who have no design chops and or they just wanna hook it up to a database and they wanna make things display in a pretty sort of way. It's great tools for that. But if you're a graphic designer, you're gonna be looking at something more like Webflow 
or Editor X, which is uh, from Wix, the people who make Wix. Editor X is the more advanced end of that spectrum. Both of the, um, Web, Webflow and Editor X give you great control over how exactly a web page is going to look. I think you mentioned about the quality websites. So what do you mean by that exactly? So websites, remember, are way beyond just the technology that drive them. And the technology is just the supporting material to tell a story. So a quality website needs to tell a really good story. It needs to tell it in a coherent way from top to bottom. It needs to engage visitors and engage viewers and convince people to do whatever the call to action for that web page is. If it's buy something, sign up for something, subscribe to something, watch something, whatever it is. Uh, so so that's, that's a really big important part of a quality website. You also want to think about usability. You want to make sure that it's a very usable website. People understand why they're there, what they're doing, how to get it done. And then the technology is just really there to support it. A really well-designed website, the technology melts into the background. You're just not aware of it. Do you think no code is actually um, like relating with the quality website thing? Or like how would you like recommend it that going that way? I'm trying to understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I got into this business because I bought into this very early definition of the web, which was it was a democratizing force in the world where people could get on board the web and they could say whatever they wanted to say. They could communicate with people however they wanted to communicate with people. And that for me is still very much a driving reason to be on the web. We're now at a point where uh, people are just thinking about it as a cash machine, I think. We just sort of make these things and the money just sort of comes in. I, I'm not really loving that particular trend, but I really love the democratizing aspects of the web. And so I want everyone in the world to have a way that they can get online and say whatever it is that they have to say, which means that some people have the coding chops to go and build whatever it is they need to build. Other people don't have that ability or don't want that ability or don't need that ability. And no-code tools fill a very important space. As the people at Adalo always say, 99.1% of the world has no idea how to code. Microsoft says we're going to need 500 million new applications in the next five years. 450 million of them are going to be no-code because we just don't have enough programmers to build them all. So no code is going to be really important to moving technology forward. The thought process before you even touch the concept of coding is really one of the more important aspects of, quote, building a website and seems to be part of your theorem yes. of quality website is thinking about it beforehand. And one of the ways to do that is people, you know, have to do a lot of research into what they want to, their website to actually do and what their market is and, and, and a lot of that work, uh, which usually either occurs outside of a person who would normally code or is an entrepreneur who's trying to learn no-code tools because he already has all that other stuff. But that design aspect seems to be pretty important. And a lot of people now are using a lot of these design tools like Canva and Figma to kind of lay stuff out. Although a lot of the no-code tools have their kind of own design centers within them, is it better for people to try to put together their website concepts using, say, Figma versus going into Webflow and just trying to use Webflow for that work. Uh, what, what's your feeling about yeah, that concept? So, so what we teach in UX is the following. After you get past all of the stuff that you were sort of talking about there, the strategy, the information architecture, the text you're going to put on the website, the pictures you've picked out, you've picked out color palettes and branding, and there is a ton of work to do before you ever start to get into what is the interface going to look like. There's a whole lot of things you got to be thinking about first. That's nice. But let's just assume that stuff is already done. <laughs> The best way to get into designing the interfaces for your website is actually start with as ugly as possible. Draw on a piece of paper or make black and white drawings if you need to do something on a screen that will show the general placement of those elements within that particular, whatever screen size we're talking about at that point in time. Place the elements there on the screen and show them to the client early. And the reason why is, when things look bad, 
you are more likely to get feedback. If it looks too polished and too perfect, then people go, oh, well, I guess that's what I'm getting. I'm, I'm too afraid to give you any feedback. This looks expensive. I, I'm afraid to make changes to it at this point in time. So that's where I would actually recommend starting at. Get, get that general placement stuff out of the way. Now, some people really love Figma. They really want to jump into Figma. They want to do the layout there. It's helpful to have those drag and drop elements. You can drag and drop in whatever it is that you want. You don't have to worry about the code behind it and so forth. Uh, I think there's some arguments to be made that if you know Figma, you can probably crank out an interface relatively quickly with that. As opposed to putting it into Webflow and you're, you're starting to think more about the programming aspects of it, uh, changing things and controlling things centrally or globally, as opposed to on an element-by-element basis, it's very easy to make a very messy web page with Webflow if you're tweaking each element individually. Ideally, you want to do things globally and then make exceptions as you get in towards individual elements within the web page. That's actually based on programming as opposed to uh, as a Webflow thing. So generally speaking, that's the direction that you want to go with this. So that is what I would recommend. The right tool for the job is the one generally that you know. Uh, but bear in mind that if you start with something ugly, you'll get more feedback on it. Then you can take it to the next level, whichever direction that is that makes sense for you. I was wondering uh, what no-code platforms are the most popular right now and what their individual strengths uh, yeah. may be. And uh, some background on why I'm asking this question is I'm constantly getting just blasted with ads <laughs> for Squarespace. <laughs> so <laughs> I know that that must be quite popular. And uh, I feel like it's quite an expensive service and it's it, it's amazing at what it does. But um, I don't know, as a... As a as a web developer uh, myself, it's uh, it's it's a bit strange on um, um, how uh, limited it is in some aspects. And uh, yeah. I was wondering, like, what kind of platforms are out there that uh, could be much more strong in certain areas? Sure. Okay. So, so here's the thing you have to remember. Uh, if you go back to the the content management system days, WordPress, Joomla, Drupal. Back in the days before WordPress.com. So in other words, if you wanted to run WordPress, you had to download it, install it on your web host and all the rest of it. The biggest trip ups for people in those days who were not technical, they just needed to maintain their website and make updates and post, post things and so forth. The biggest trip ups were dealing with the hosting company, dealing with updating WordPress itself, de- dealing with updating all of the plugins and all of the rest of that kind of stuff and making backups. These are things that clients generally are not interested in doing. <laughs> they believe that stuff should just happen magically and automatically. So uh, the, the big, yeah, yeah. It's a huge pain to just update any kind of framework. Even it is an enormous, oh, it's awful, it's awful. And in my Joomla days where my company was managing you know, 80, 85 Joomla websites at a time, They'd release a new version of Joomla. We'd have to go through and individually for each one of those Joomla sites, click all the buttons to make the backup and update the things and make sure we test it. And it, it, it was just ridiculous, right? All right. And that's assuming that nothing gets broken by the new Exactly. Updates, so. And since when does that ever happen? <laughs> <laughs> so you will find that all of these no-code tools have a relatively high price on them. And that price is reflecting all of that work. So it's not just the $5 a month web hosting that you had. All of those tools you, in that, within that cost, you are paying for the hosting, all of the security updates, all of the upgrades, all of the plugins, the advances that are made on the tool itself, and 24-7 customer support. You actually have someone that you can call. So you are generally going to find all of these no-code tools have Uh, it's very common to have a $12 a month or or $20 a month price tag uh, to start with for each website. And that is the reason why. That's where that money comes from. So what what kind of platforms are out there these days? So we already discussed Joomla and Squarespace, but I'm sure there are many more that uh, I'm sure you're more familiar with them than I am. Yeah, yeah. So uh, let's say down at the very basic free the free range you could get a free wix account which has advertising on it you could get one called card c-a-r-r-d 
Co. Relatively inexpensive. Uh, it's a little, I think, is $12 a year. Uh, there's also a free version of it. Give you a one or two page website, kind of landing page kind of thing. Oh, nice. uh, um, yeah, yeah. Just let's just put up a really mm-hmm. quick and easy web page. But that's um, what most clients moving, need. Anyway. Moving in. So, yeah, nine times out of ten, I mm-hmm. usually get requests to make a website, and turns out uh, all they want is basically like uh, a page that uh, has a Google Maps on it with their location, <laughs> maybe their phone number. So. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So card might be perfect for that. Uh, Squarespace, its its advantages come in where it's got like lots and lots of really big, gorgeous, juicy pictures and uh, a little bit more maybe wiggle room in terms of the layout and rearranging things on the page, a little bit more uh, wiggle room in terms of um, uh, tweaking fonts and colors and, and that kind of thing, perhaps, than some of the other platforms. They are deliberately limited. As we know as software developers, the more features and functionality you add, almost inherently the more difficult interfaces become. So by scaling back choice, you scale back the complexity of the interface. So uh, many of them build in a pyramid kind of fashion that if you dig in far enough, you may eventually find a setting where you can change something. Squarespace is really good at this. It may take you six clicks to, to customize the thing, but it's in there eventually. Uh, or uh, they just get rid of those choices altogether, as in platforms like Softer and Pori, where you know here's here's five things you can change, and that's all there is to it. So uh, uh, that's sort of like that low end kind of I just need that that calling card style uh, website type of thing. Uh, Softer, Pori, uh, Webflow offer also the ability to integrate with things like Airtable. So Airtable would be is a database which they call a base because database is too scary of a word. So, but it's a database. It looks like a spreadsheet and you can have multiple tables and joins and things talk to each other. You can then connect that to something like Webflow uh, or to Pori or Softer and have that database information display on a web page. You'd be surprised at how many people on a page. It's amazing how many people want to do that. Oh, everyone. Yeah. Like that, that's all people want to do. Honestly, it just makes me so mad. Like every every application is just another yep. crowd application. Yep, just another <laughs> one of those. And and what's interesting to me is, uh, within a WordPress environment, you do exactly the same thing, right? But all your plugins are vetted, so you already know that the whole universe plays with each other. Everything's going to work just fine together. In a no code environment, you have no idea if you can right. join these things or not because everything is a standalone application. So if we want, for example, we want to join Webflow and Airtable and make them talk to each other, Webflow has an API, uh, Airtable has an API, but the two APIs may not necessarily talk to each other. So we actually have a meta API to solve that problem, like Zapier, which is all about connecting APIs. And so it it will take the two APIs and make them talk to each other. Um, It's an API API of APIs. APIs. It's a meta API, yeah. Yeah. So, so nice. one of my favorite things with that, uh, I did a little demonstration where I had a Google Doc. And in that Google Doc, I could write a blog post. And when I took that Google Doc and I saved it into a certain folder on my Google Drive, it could automatically publish that page. It knew exactly what fields to map where, publish that page as a WordPress blog, and send a tweet out all at the same time. You can connect all of the APIs to make all of that automation happen uh, with something like Zapier. So uh, there's a lot of craziness. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, that's awesome. Like that's that's a package you could just uh, sell with I don't know, fifty dollar price tag. Like yeah, instant. yeah, yeah. And so that whole automation aspect is going to be really big going forward. Um, you think about all the mm. people who work all day long in spreadsheets and need interfaces for them and and need to schlep things around for approval, it, it, the things we do through email and Slack and all the rest of it now, with a, with a product like Zapier, you can connect all these things together to make that automation happen without having to deal with code. But the, the flexibility 
of all these systems and the automation of, say, Zapier, you know, the, the concept of no code is literally you're not, you don't have to be a developer or, or someone, but you, you really do need to have an understanding of development. You need to have an understanding of how code works to even be able to take advantage of a lot of these tools. Yes, if you're building a simple website to throw up some pictures and an email address or whatever, you can use something like Card or, you know, Webflow might be overkill on it. But to actually make something that does work, uh, that really does require a level of kind of understanding that the, the average person may not have and they may have to study for it. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. We are in early, early days in no-code land and you will find that everywhere. So uh, we were just talking about Squarespace. Well, Squarespace has the box, as I affectionately call it. And in fact, most of these applications do. The box. And it just says custom CSS. Here you go. Have fun. And you know, there's no guidance whatsoever. If you want to style things and you know how to write CSS, you can just put it into this box. But that's not really no code, is it? So right. um, uh, there's a lot of code left in no code, actually. And uh, programmatic thinking, Dave, like what you're talking about, is is probably one of the biggest parts of this is how do we actually uh, train people to think about what comes first, what comes second, what comes third, and what is the data that's involved at each of those steps, and where does the data need to go, and how does it need to move? That's actually still all very much a part of no code, every bit as much as it is for code. So we're still going to be data and programming architects, even if we're just not writing all the semicolons and curly brackets. So like, um, do you think it's going to be like a new feature even for like a web designers and the developers and uh, to make it like a feature, like to make things super easy, what can I expect and what can I look for like a no code platform? Like what are the things I should look for? As a developer, you mean? Uh, as a designer. As a designer? Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, this is the classic case is that if designers get trained in fonts and colors and layouts and making things pretty and they aren't necessarily trained on code and believe it or not 20 years ago when we had Dreamweaver and we had Photoshop and stuff we did all that stuff in Photoshop we handed it off to a Dreamweaver developer who would then slice it up and turn it into a web page and and then we had this long sort of dry spell where programming was developing and uh, designers really for a long time had to get into learning how to code uh, mostly so that they could hand off their designs as they intended them to be to developers who can then hook it up to additional programming. Uh, so this new round of no code tools is trying to address that. Webflow in particular has uh, identified that as something that people really need. So they're marketing Webflow for enterprise as a way of you can now lay out your entire web page here in Webflow, click a button, it'll export the code, and that code you can then hand off to your development team. Now, the key is, just as it was in the Dreamweaver days, is that code actually any good? And it's very easy to say, make 25 layers of div, div elements, right? The, the massively nested boxes, because designers don't know what they're doing. Uh, in, in, th in terms of thinking about elements and classes and how, how the uh, markup should work on a web page before you hand that off to the development team. So that's really an area where people are going to have a lot of learning to do. And part of my interest now as, a, as an instructor is thinking about how we go about teaching things like HTML and CSS for no-code environments. So how do we explain these things without talking about properties and values and flexbox and, and block level and inline elements? Let's talk instead about graphic visuals that a designer could relate to and how they can build good code without actually writing that code. Mm -hmm. You know, it actually reminds me of something. So I had like a one physics professor. I have a background in physics. Um, so he used to tell me one thing that do not memorize anything. You don't need to. You just need to understand if you need something in the future, which book you should look for and where yes. to look for exactly. I feel like it's something like that, right? So you don't need to like memory, but you have to have an understanding and you have to understand like where to look, what kind of thing. Does this make sense? Right. right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I think that's, that's fair for the no code kind of stuff. Uh, you know, again, since we're picking on Webflow, uh, Webflow's interface is very CSS oriented. 
It talks about flexbox parents and children. It talks about grid parents and children. It talks about padding and margin. It talks about pixels versus rems and percents and all the rest of that kind of stuff. If you know CSS, you'll jump into Webflow and you'll feel right at home. I'm not sure that that's true for a graphic designer, though, without a coding background. But that's what I was saying. They have to have understanding. They should know what they are doing, but they don't need to yeah. like, learn it, like be a master level or something like that. They just need to understand it. Yeah. And the question is, where at what point does that change? Right? Yeah. Where is that line? How much how much is enough? I'm not I'm not sure where that line is at this point. I think it's going to be like a new feature because that's what it seems like, because uh, even for the developers and the designers, maybe this is something which is going to be like a handy thing to use, you know, uh, like not to spend too much time in coding and figure out so and how far we are like to become that thing. There have been a bunch of people on the on the web talking about like, do we really need to reinvent the login box again? Do we really need to code that from scratch again? Do we need to code yet another image carousel? Do we need to code more tabs or another accordion panel? Uh, I think it's it's fair to say at this point in time that there are a lot of elements in web design that don't need to be coded over and over again. And that is those kinds of elements are just ripe for no code. Uh, if we can sort of centralize on a, on a way that we tend to do these things and we can make our developer friends say, yes, that's not your code, but you know what? This is still just fine. Works great. Deal with it. Instead of, you know, developers, they, if it's yeah. not their code, they want to recode it. So, <laughs> so there's changes to be made all around. <laughs> well, it seems like there's some opportunities in the no code space in the sense that there might be no code tools that are orientated very much for designers and to help them convey their ideas to developers. And there may be no code tools that are very orientated towards making the developer's job much more efficient. Is okay. that currently like that? Are the tools broken out into that or are they all I, kind I of the same so. at I'd this say point? Figma is the one for people who don't, Figma and similar, like Adobe XD and Sketch and so forth. Those are for designers who have no code background whatsoever. I, I've had I've had designers hand me off you know an Adobe XD file. Have fun. No idea how you're going to code that. Have have a great time. See you later. Uh, maybe you've had that happen too. Uh, as opposed to something like Webflow, which by its very nature it's been coded. It may be bad code. It may be horribly ugly HTML and CSS depending on who put the page together. But it's code. Right, so something is coming out that, in theory, a developer could do something with. I imagine they'd want to clean it up a bit in some particularly horrible situations. I know a lot of these no-code platforms, as you were talking about earlier, are kind of their own ecosystem. They're hosting their twenty-four hour support, updating security, etc. But one of the disadvantages I think you get you get a URL that's basically you know your website name dot webflow dot whatever right is there a way on these no code platforms to use your own domain names and does that create any issues with SEO or anything or it's just pretty standard Uh, generally speaking all of these no code tools have some kind of free version it may be a short-term free version or it may be uh or particularly limited, feature limited, and so forth. Uh, but but for let's take Wix, for example. If you're going to publish a Wix site, it's going to have advertising on it, and it's going to end in Wix.io, I think it is. Webflow, same thing. You can build uh, like a one-page website. It's going to end in Webflow.io. But if you give them money, you can have a custom domain. That's generally true for most of these. Uh, as a developer, my high level process must be quite different so immediately when i start working on a task or a particular design i usually just start thinking about the nitty-gritty parts like how do i make that very specific thing work and i would be quite interesting i'd be quite interested in how this uh, high level process changes when working with no codes what should we focus on first what are the things that uh, developers usually forget when uh, they are working on no-code platforms? Yeah, yeah. You, you'd probably be more interested in a tool like Bubble.io, uh, which is designed for writing web applications. Uh, uh, Adalo is one that's more interested for, for mobile applications. And these are more modeled towards uh, uh, features and functionality. 
for example, Bubble, when you sign into it for the first time, it will actually take you through a series of tutorials, which I just think is absolutely a fantastic way to onboard people. The first thing that you build in, uh, in Bubble is it will give you, uh, well, the end, the end state will be a box, you know, like a little search box with a button and then a, another box underneath. And the concept is that when you type in an address and hit map, it'll draw in the Google Maps underneath. But this is going to introduce all these other concepts, right? That that box where you do the typing, that has to have a name. And it has to be attached to the button. And the button has to know when it's clicked, what it should do with that information in the box that has the name, and then how that's going to go to a Google API, how the Google API is going to come back and write that information into the box. So, you know, that's a really, really simple web application in, in microcosm. So... The no-code people are going to have to think about this in the same kind of way. If I want to put a map on my web page, where is that map coming from? Well, I'm going to have to go find some API that will do that for me. That's also compatible with my no-code technology. So it's not just necessarily any API will do, uh, but you know, Google Maps is, is pretty flexible and works in a lot of different environments. So uh, that would be one that would work here. And then we're going to have to think about like, what information am I putting in? So in that box, what are people putting in? What if they type in, you know, whatever, my dog's spot instead of an actual address? Well, how are we going to deal with the error on that? Where is that error going to be written on the page? Uh, what's going to happen when we uh, click that button? Have we got everything lined up such that information is submitted correctly to the API and so forth? So all of the things that you think about as a developer now, uh, in that type of environment, you're going to have to think about in a no-code world as well. It's a question of degree, just as we've been talking about on the front end, from the very simple tools to the more complex ones. Uh, you, you're going to have a range in your no-code tools as well. So uh, Softer and Pori, for example, which are very good at just displaying contents of Airtable types of things. They have the API that connects to, uh, to Airtable, and then you can decide how you want the information to display, how you want to filter it, uh, they're starting to get into how are we going to make the screens where we enter information and that's going to write it into Airtable, right? So all of that sort of programmatic thinking about those things is still is still very much part of working with these no-code tools. Again, we're just not writing necessarily the database calls. We're not writing the uh, the working with the actual APIs. We're not writing JSON files or any of that kind of stuff. Uh, we, but we still have to think very programmatically about where the data is and where it's going to go and, and how it's going to be interacted with on the page. Right. So based on that, it um, kind of feels like similar, very similar process to uh, just regular development. But it seems to stop at uh, where development starts and engineering ends. So it feels to me like uh, no code is more of a tool that maybe engineers would love over... Uh, typical developers, as uh, they would still have to think about the high-level concepts such as where do we store the data, how is this uh, data flow going to go, Where, right. which are different nodes that it has to go through, which are the different processes it uh, has to be involved with. Yeah, awesome. and, the, and, the, and the switch side of this is that in a developer world, you, if you if you are using this API and that API and that API, you can write all the connecting tissue to make those things do whatever you want. In the no-code world, you're going to have to find a tool to deal with every piece of that. Whatever it is that you want to do, Zilla is going to be doing this thing, Airtable is going to be doing that thing. You have, may have to identify several pieces of technology in order to make them all work together to achieve what exactly it is that you want to do. Right. Uh, what do you think about... Um writing plugins for no-code applications? Because this is something I've been thinking about during this whole podcast. What what happens when uh, when there's just no tool on the market that does exactly what we want? Yeah, well, it, it, I've been very fond of saying it's 1998 in the no-code world. This is what the web looked like in 1998, where we had tons of little startups and Lots of venture capital money flowing around. No one knew what they were doing. Everyone thought they were going to get rich. <laughs> okay. It's just like that in the no-code world right now. Um, specifically, there are plugins. Like, you can write a bubble plugin to do a number of things. Uh, uh, for example, Bubble just came out with a Flexbox inside of their UI interface. 
And so now they're coming out with a bunch of different plugins for different kinds of layouts that leverage that Flexbox interface. Uh, and uh, so, so more elements for dragging and dropping into bubbles for building your web application. In Webflow land, maybe you'd be selling templates or themes of some kind as starter points for putting together your Webflow pages. So yeah, there's definitely these supporting pieces of technologies around each of these products in addition to more and more and more products going on out there. Would this be a good time to start uh, start up in my garage? Yeah, it would be a great time. Oh, <laughs> nice. And you would not be alone. There are a lot of people getting into this space. So I was wondering, like, how well um, does no-code platform, like, handle e-commerce websites? Yeah, uh, tons and tons of, uh, I mean, shopping carts are just sort of a given in a lot of things these days. So, you know, Squarespace, Wix, Webflow, all, all have shopping carts built into them. Everybody's integrating with PayPal and with, with uh, Stripe, for example. Uh, sometimes there's some other platforms that they integrate with. So uh, the hard thing that people deal with now in terms of, of e-commerce is, should I be using Squarespace to make my store or should I go with a dedicated shopping cart like Shopify or Big Commerce or something like that? So, um, or or sometimes they still say WordPress. I need WordPress because it has WooCommerce. <laughs> they, they think of them as the same the same tool, and and that's the only option. So so there's a ridiculous number of shopping carts that are out there right now. They all work more or less the same way. They all integrate with PayPal and Stripe and so forth. Um, so what I would encourage you to think about as you think about e-commerce is, are you selling digital products or are you selling physical products? Because physical products are always more complicated. And are you going to be having a few products or are you going to have lots and lots and lots of products? And are those products going to have lots of permutations? So if it's a shirt, or do we have colors? Do we have sizes? Do, you know, so forth. So uh, all, all of that adds layers of complexity. The more complex that you need, the more likely it is that you want to be looking at um, a true shopping cart like Shopify or, or big commerce, as opposed to, uh, you know, yeah, I can throw on a little shopping cart on Squarespace. I have a, a client, they, they basically built their e-commerce website in WordPress, which WordPress was never really designed for. And they found out, you know, after having uh, 75,000 items in their uh, store, uh, the performance on WordPress kind of dropped a little bit. And so they're mm -hmm. having to redo the whole thing. But I, I guess yeah. picking the right e-commerce platform and for the size that you want to be and, and thinking that through, obviously that's going to be a key to even integrating into no-code, correct? Oh, absolutely. So your your client probably didn't start with a seventy five thousand item store, yeah. right? What did they What did they start with? They don't even remember, but it was probably you know a couple hundred items. You know, a couple hundred items. Okay, so if you're starting with a couple hundred items, uh, maybe maybe WordPress made sense at that point in time. Uh, it's never it's never necessarily a bad thing that you start where you are get up and running, see if you can actually make a go of this thing first before you go and invest in the heavy technology. I'm sure your client, if you said, uh, well, if we should plan for you to grow to 75,000 items when they're at 100, they'd probably laugh at you. <laughs> it's never going to get that big. Uh, but yet here you are later and it, and it does. Uh, I had a similar thing happen uh, in the pandemic. So I have a, a client who, uh, uh, she's a, a wholesale bakery. Everything dried up in, in the commercial market for wholesale baked goods uh, during the pandemic. She had no nothing to do, and she had all these people that were employed, and she had a full uh, baking system and all these delivery trucks. And so she decided, uh, I think what I'll do is I'll do delivered baked goods to people's houses. So they can come online, they can place orders, and we'll deliver to your house, right? She needed to get up and running fast because she needed to get money fast. And so she built a Squarespace website and she put up a few products and it was a smash hit. And then, you know, she continued to add products. And after about a year, she hit a wall and realized, well, I've, I've done my proof of concept. I kept my business alive for a year. That was the important goal that I was trying to achieve. And now she's thinking about moving to something like Shopify, where she can take this to the next level. And of course, her wholesale business is coming back too. So, uh, uh, you know, sometimes just getting something done in a very fast manner is important. And a no-code tool can be a really great way to get something out there quickly. 
And then you'll have the time and the money to deal with the next level later. Mm-hmm. Is it easy to move from uh, one no-code solution to another platform, or is that relatively difficult, or is it easier to take a no-code platform that's kind of reached its limit and just custom build a, a, a website and backend from there? Yeah, uh, it, it's all over the map because there's hundreds of these things. Uh, tools like like Wix and Squarespace do have ways of importing from WordPress or exporting to WordPress. WordPress is generally the big competitor in this space with, with all of these types of tools. Generally speaking, uh, the no-code tools want to give you back your content and so forth. They aren't necessarily all that keen on giving you code, so you can't necessarily... Uh, Build, build your website in Squarespace and then just download it, say, as static HTML and CSS and put it up on your own hosting. That's never going to happen, right? Sounds your like you, you make your commitment to the no-code platform, you build your assets in it, and it is what it is. And if you need to move to something else, you're basically starting from scratch. Or you, know, you might get your content, but you're not going to get a whole lot more than that, right? Okay, well, that's yeah. something that people yeah. need to be aware of with no-code platforms. Yeah, so in the case of your uh, 75,000 e-commerce items, I, I'm sure that there's some sort of CSV output or whatever that would give you your store. And it, and that's probably something you want to check going in. Like, does it take CSV uploads? Can it give you a CSV um, export as well? Cause especially if you're going to grow that big. That, those, that kind of stuff becomes really, really important. So what do you think that no-code platform, they would handle AI or machine learning or blockchain in the future? They already are. Yeah. Yeah. Those are not things that interest me that much. So I'm really not uh, following all that closely. But you will find already that there are people that are approaching all of those spaces with no-code tools and that they're, they're already out there. People are already experimenting with that. Um, in fact, the people that I've been following on Twitter for this last year um, that were all about no code or switching to all like Web3, uh, uh, crypto, blockchain, yada, yada. All that stuff is like the cool new thing this year. And they're all looking at that. I am not going to go that way. You, those of you who want to, you go ahead and do that. My goal is still telling stories online. So, uh, so I'm not going to follow that bandwagon. But for those of you who are, have a great time, you will find no-code solutions. Yeah, right. developers love their yeah. toys. Yeah, they really do. They really love do. Toys. <laughs> the concept of no-code was that you're able to utilize no-code to make a more efficient development process, Right. It's not necessarily a replacement for development because you still need to understand the development process. But for simple things like marketing websites and some landing pages, it's actually a very efficient process. This fits into the concept of of developers and agencies. How does no code kind of fit into, say, an agency development process that in the past they've only just you know had a bunch of developers doing the coding they worked with the client can agencies and 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 maybe single developers start utilizing no code to make their process maybe more efficient or better quality what's your thoughts on that yeah i think it's not necessarily efficiency or quality i think it's about different price points Mm -hmm. and i think it's about making um, more options available to more people Mm -hmm. so we'll go back to like when i got started in the business when when i made a website for a client in dreamweaver if they wanted to make updates to it they had to buy a copy of dreamweaver (laughs) and nobody wanted to buy a copy of dreamweaver because it was a complex environment it was too hard for the client to use it's too hard to make those updates, uh, and uh, it was expensive. Later, Macromedia added a product called Contribute that was directly oriented towards clients. And so it stripped out all the Dreamweaver, all the development tools, and it just gave clients that environment where they could go in and make changes to their text. And you could use the Dreamweaver templates to lock out various parts of the page that you didn't want your clients editing. It meant that uh, the freelancers who saw that immediately said, oh my gosh, my, my career is over, my business is over, I'm never going to make any more money ever again because I'm never going to update anybody's website. But the truth of the matter was, is it freed up all of those people who like to build websites to build more websites. 
And it put that work of those little updates off onto the clients who wanted to do them anyway because they wanted to do them when they wanted them done. They didn't want to wait to have it done. We're actually at that point now where we're going to see the same thing happen, but we're at very much at a different level. Okay, so obviously that was back in the early days. It was a very low level and where we had to invent our own content management solutions. Then we had these kinds of uh, WordPress and Joomla and so forth content management solutions. We're at the next level now where if I want to have a web application, rather than spending $10,000, $30,000 and hiring a development team to get my web application, if there's something that's fairly well-defined that we have built over and over again, and think about how many products that are just like that, that we build over and over and over again. But this one is the red one, and that one's the green one, and this one has one little feature that makes it different from the other one. That kind of stuff is just ripe to go to the no-code world so that now I can mass customize and very quickly build standard sorts of applications for everybody for a much lower price point. And the developers are going to continue on doing what they do best, which is following that cutting, bleeding edge of development. So they're going to get to work on more interesting problems, problems we haven't worked on, problems that don't have standardized solutions, problems that need that higher level development mindset or very customized solutions where we truly have uh, the need to build a very customized solution for just this one environment. That's where the developers are going to go. All the other stuff that they left behind that they learned in the last 20 years, all that stuff is left behind can now go to the no coders. That's, that's kind of where I see this sort of stuff going. Well, Jen, thank you very much for a great conversation. I think we all learned a lot and we look forward to uh, seeing the future of no code and, and how agencies and developers will be using the, these tools to, to further their cons- customers and clients' uh, desires and dreams. Thank you very much for joining uh, Screenbox Technology and Business Rundown podcast. And to all of our uh, audience, uh, we will see you next month for next month's installment. Thank you very much for taking this journey with us. Join us for our next exciting exploration of technology and business in the first week of every month. Please help us by subscribing, liking, and following us on whichever platform you're listening to or watching us on. We hope you enjoyed this podcast, and please let us know any subjects or topics you would like us to discuss in our next podcast by leaving a message for us in the comment sections or sending us a Twitter DM. Till next month, please stay happy and healthy. (laughs) 